You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your brains, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, AJ Andrews of jaysfromthecouch.com, and... It is 2.30 in the morning as I'm recording this. I've had a very long week of work. Not over, actually. Still waiting to finish. It's, it's been long, so I appreciate y'all having the patience with me um, when it comes to getting up these episodes so late in the day. At, at least they're ready for your commute. That's, that's what I can offer. Like, you will have stuff there for you. So, I am actually a little disappointed today because I was scheduled to be on Jason Couch Radio talking with the guest of this episode again, who I would talk to in a heartbeat because, again, one of my best friends. But I was not able to do it because of work. So instead, I leave you with the fond memories that I have from my Thursday conversation with MLB.com Blue Jays writer Keegan Matheson. And this conversation will be focused on the pitching. And I ask him the same question I ask Mike Wilner. And for those of you who want him to talk about Alejandro Kirk, I'm sorry, I cannot let him do that because... I don't want this to be an hour-long podcast, so sit back and enjoy part two, the the closing of the duology with Keegan Matheson. Talking Blue Jays with MLB.com, Blue Jays writer Keegan Matheson here on Locked on Jays. Um, Keegan, I'm going to shift the focus now to the pitchers, and... um. One of the obvious hot topics for the Blue Jays has been the battle for that fifth starting spot. And I know when I went into it, I I was of the mindset that it, it was Shun Yamaguchi's to lose since he had been signed in the Major League deal. Everyone else had options so they could go down to Buffalo if needed. But Trent Thornton's really making me rethink that decision. What's he been able to, to keep himself at, at the front of this competition. I, I don't think it can be argued that that he's not ahead of Yamaguchi at this point, if you're looking solely from the results that you're getting from both these gentlemen. I, I think uh, Thornton is completely out in front. I mean, this is his job, his job to lose, and I would almost say his job right now. You know, someone can always come steal a job, but another three home runs, it, it has not looked great so far, and from the beginning, I, I suspected this might be Thornton on the inside track. And even when you look at uh, him versus Yamaguchi, I think what matters here is that if Thornton doesn't win the job, he goes to AAA. If he doesn't win it, he goes to the bullpen. And that's the option that probably makes the overall team a little bit better. So if you have Yamaguchi in the bullpen, I, I mean – Given the early results and the adjustments he has to make coming to the major league game, you're still curious where he's going to be. Is it multiple? 
multi-innings? Is it the seventh inning? Where is he? We'll see. There's a few weeks left, thankfully, for the Blue Jays. But Trent Thornton has really just been himself, which is a, a boring manager answer. But he's just come in and made last year, which is hard to do in spring training. He throws a lot of pitches, you know, a lot of different types of pitches, not just quantity. And, and I think that's helped him a lot. You know, His delivery has a thousand moving parts, and maybe five years from now, that's better for a, maybe two years from now. But right now, he is still the guy who led this team in innings and starts last year when he certainly wasn't supposed to. So uh, I think he has a massive you know, inside track on this. At the same time, it's possible that somebody pulls a groin tomorrow and somebody's in that rotation. Easy. Mm-hmm. You know, not a lot has to happen. But it'll be uh, be interesting to see how that develops. You know, Ross Atkins, all the time, when he talks about the opening day lineup, he says that everyone focuses too much on opening day. And, you know, to, to an I agree with that because – it would be a you know a, a fun project you know I say it loud like I can't do this myself, but uh, you know it, it would be fun to go back and look at kind of you know April twelfth rosters versus opening day or you know, two weeks in how different is it because there's always a bit early and I think uh, it'll at least start the season like this and we'll see you know the the comparison I've used for Shon Yamaguchi maybe in a perfect case like a best case scenario within this reality is that he has a bit of a, a Marco Estrada-like season. Back when Estrada came over from the Brewers, he opened the year as a swing man, and nobody really knew what to do with him. You know, is he good enough to start? Does he throw hard enough to relieve? What do you do with this guy? Eventually, that rotation spot opened up, I think, just to come into the season, and boom, he's in the rotation. So that wouldn't shock me at all. Mm. Well, speaking of guys who it wouldn't shock me to see in the rotation come May, we have reached the point in the podcast, Keegan, where it's time to gush about Nate Pearson. So please gush Pearson for me. <laughs> I'm shocked that we're getting to this topic. I know, right? This is, um, you know, he has three innings into spring training. So I, I'm of two minds. You know, on one hand, it's only three innings. He's only played three times in AAA. Yada, yada. On the other hand, Lots of things are bad, and watching Nate Pearson throw a baseball is pretty fun. Uh, I, I mean, I, I spend all day every day uh, picking apart things like service developments, et cetera, et cetera. Sitting there and watching Nate Pearson throw a baseball is really fun. And I say that as someone who, you know, when, when you work in baseball, not that it takes the romance out of it, but it's, uh, you know, it certainly becomes, and you're not there as a fan by any means. It does take a lot for me to look up from my laptop, put down my pen, and say, holy crap, I've got to watch this guy play right now. I need to watch this. I cannot miss it. That doesn't happen for me very often. When Nate Pearson pitches, that's what it's And it's not just about the velocity readings for me. I think we, we focus so much on velocity, but that might have a little bit to do with it being the Blue Jays. You know, Most other teams have guys who are throwing 100. When you look around the league, bullpens, other prospect systems, Throwing 100, frankly, isn't as impressive as it used to be. You know, we we talk about it like it's never happened, but a lot of guys do it. What's really impressive is the changeup, is the slider, is that developing curveball on top of that heat. And when you have that, 100 miles an hour all of a sudden becomes unhittable. Because if you're a professional hitter and you know 100 is coming, so what? All you've got to do is pick a location, choke a little quicker. You can put a bat on it. Mm. But if you are a little bit 
bit afraid, and I mean just the smallest inkling of a thought in your head that this ball might come in at 90 or it might snap off into the dirt and take your legs out, then I don't know how you do it with trembling in that <laughs> box. And Yeah. And, and one I, of these days I've got to I've got to go stand in just for one pitch to get an appreciation. <laughs> I all I had to do was hear Josh Bell talk about it cuz like I I watched him pitch against the yeah. and you know these are legitimate big league batters that he's just making look silly like again Josh Bell's a freaking all-star and he's just feebly trying to find anything to grasp onto that the location that Pearson already have just putting putting those balls up just above just so so guys like Bell and Gregory Polanco can't get to them like like he's showing a poise and 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 a ability to just put the ball where he wants that that's honestly really exciting because like you said there are tons of pitchers who can throw 100 but are all over the place when you can you when you can hit your changeup, when you can hit your spots like that, that is brutal to try and face. Absolutely. That's what's really going to set him apart. Uh, I think the the feel that he has and the, the delivery that he has. And that's another part. A lot of these guys you see are 6'3", 170 pounds, and it looks like their arm is going to snap off. Nate Pearson is a very big dude. Um, when I interview baseball players, it is not often that I'm looking up, and it's not often a guy is you know broader shoulders and bigger than me overall. And Nate Pearson certainly is. I feel small when I, when I talk to <laughs> Nate Pearson. Uh, he is. If you allowed an MLB general manager and front office to go into a factory and build a pitcher from scratch, Nate Pearson would come out at the other end, no doubt about it. And he is. The prototypical starter, he's able to use his legs and his body for velocity, so he's not putting everything on his arm. And I, I asked Ross Atkins about that. You know, when you have a guy throwing 100, you know, in, in my mind, the first worry is, you know, when's this guy going to shake his arm after a pitch? Because the human body was not designed to throw baseballs, let alone do it at this speed. But, you know, Atkins said that they are concerned about the velocity because his mechanics are so clean. And that's a major, major uh, plus for, for Nate Pearson because a lot of guys throwing 100 is maximum effort. It's whatever you can do to get from 99 to 100 because 100 is cool and 99 is just kind of cool. And you want to be cool. Pearson can, uh, can do it without risking his body and he can do it with those other pitches supporting him. So not only do you see that projecting when he first arrives, but you can also see that projecting in 2022. 2025 and seven, nine sustains a career when they have multiple pitches that they can be smart with. And he's young. He's so far away from being what he could be right now. And so many things could go wrong, but you know, sometimes we don't have to get bogged down with all of those asterisks. Sometimes it's, it's just fun to look at a pitcher and say, Holy crap, I can't believe he's doing that. And that's where you're at with Nate Pearson right now. Yeah. I, I think, that's that's the consensus on Nate Pearson. It's just a, a joy to watch him work right now, and I'm getting really excited seeing him north of the border very soon. Um, in regards to some of the other starters that we've seen, some of the guys who made appearances, 
I I know, again, we talked about Trent Thornton already, but these other guys who, you know, might have con- been considered the dark horses for that fifth slot, they've they've not looked great so far. Anthony Kay has had his issues with control. TJ Zoik's been hit. Um, like, uh, Jacob Wagaspak, six walks in four and a third innings, not great. So, so a lot of these guys seem to be just kind of working out the Kings. Patrick Murphy had that bad outing in Port Charlotte. The, the one guy who seems to be doing what he needs to do to keep himself established as a starter. And I, I'm surprised he's actually been lost in the shuffle a bit when it comes to some of these prospects is Sean Reed Foley. And I know when I went into spring training, I thought, you know, this is going to be make or break for Foley. He's either going to prove he can still be a starter, period, or he's going to make a really nice bullpen piece if he gets the control down. And so far, it looks like he's been able to control his stuff a little, a little bit more. Three innings, so walks, giving up the two hits and the one unearned run. Um, So are you seeing anything out of Sean Reed Foley that, would kind of help him reestablish himself again, since he kind of got lost amidst the acquisitions of all these starters that the Blue Jays have gotten in the past two years. Yeah, Reed Foley has been so far out of this picture, and I, I can't believe that he's just 24. You know, drafted as a high schooler, I, I feel like we've been talking about him since 2010, but he's still young, obviously has talents. You know, this is the classic case of a guy with just a lot of arm talent, but will he put it together? You know, that big snapping slider, he has velocity, but can he put it together and, and is the mental game there? And that's been the big issue for Foley, controlling that zone. Uh, I do think that long-term he is a reliever. I would be really excited, really, to see him as a reliever, what he can do. And I even think his personality might might mesh well with, with relieving. I can see him being the guy who sprints in from the bullpen, revved up to throw the just, heck out of a baseball. But just grows, we'll see, just grows we'll the, see how that goes. The, uh, uh, the rolly fingers mustache just, just goes all out in it. It would work. But, uh, you know, <laughs> if and when it gets to that point, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, Reed Foley eventually, you know, could be part of that conversation if there are some uh, some injuries along the way. You know, I, I think the Blue Jays are hoping that Anthony Kay can really emerge and, make himself kind of that next man up. Uh, Thomas Hatch is another one, I think, in consideration from AAA at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Needs to get in that AAA rotation because there's been a lot of AA for him. But this group, when you're looking down, I'm just you know, counting on my hands here. You have Kay, I won't include him for now, but Kay and Zoik, Reed Foley, Merriweather, Hatch. Um, you have Diaz, Murphy, Andrew Sopko. Yeah. yeah, and uh, John Harris, the old first-rounder, is another one. Uh, Wag is pack. We're up to nine or ten guys. Um, the Blue Jays have a lot of number eight starters, I think <laughs> is the best way to put it. That's a good thing. But what you would love to happen, if you're the Blue Jays, is for just one guy to figure it out and to take that jump and, and be a legitimate option because you, know, you have the Shoemakers, the Andersons, the Roarks, but you'd love a guy to emerge as a kind of a young back-end starter. And I, I know that's a, a weird thing to think of. We're always focused on who the ace is going to be, who's Nate Pearson you know, being next. But having a, a young, which means cheap, starter is so valuable for a team. You don't have to go out and find it. We'll see how this goes. I think that 
you know, watching the Buffalo Bisons every night is going to be a, some really good baseball, but the Blue Jays need guys to step forward just a little bit. You know, Anthony K has that talent, maybe above that group. Sean Reed Foley's that lottery ticket. Julian Merriweather, uh, a big lottery ticket. You know, how much can he pitch? The talent's there, but it's like every other organization. You know, you need one of these guys to click and to actually sustain it at the major league level. And that depth is going to be tested as well. You know, we talk about these veterans like they are all going to make 33 starts. No chance. You know, even looking at Ryu, he's had some short seasons with soft tissue injuries. There is zero chance that the Blue Jays don't use at least eight or nine starters this year. So yeah. some of them are have to, going to have to get thrown in. I'm a little more confident going to Anthony Kay than I am to Edwin Jackson. And that is the third. Just a bit. That is the, I think, left straight week I've made an Edwin Jackson joke. So nice to know his legacy in Toronto is still set. <laughs> We will be right back with the thrilling conclusion of our conversation with MLB.com writer Keegan Matheson right after this message. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So turning now to the bullpen and, you know, it, it seemed to be the place where you know a lot of different jigsaw pieces were gonna have to fall in place for the blue jays and that that's the case for the blue jays because that's how they build bullpens they don't they don't go out and pay guys 15 million over five years they go for the minor league deals they go for the guys who they can actually get more value out of coming overseas and unfortunately one of those guys is probably gonna be on the dl now to start the season after rafael delis had appendicitis which there's a question. Why don't athletes have their appendixes removed? Because between Dolis and Bo Bichette, when he was in the minors, just take it out. Just nip it in the bud. I don't know. But um, with Dolis now likely starting the season on the IL, obviously that kind of opens things up for, for some of these guys on minor league deals. And... um. I can we can we talk about how many of these minor league guys might actually make it? Because I can see two right now in AJ Cole, who was a foregone conclusion, and Justin Miller, who's pitching his way on there. And even even you throw in a guy like Mark Zepchinski, who's a late addition, but is a necessary injection into that lefty battle. Um, how many of these guys do you see making the initial opening day? roster and and who comes off for them now, this is such a puzzle and players coming off for them matters too you know Dolis is is going to be a big loss for the Jays you know we'll see how long it takes uh, there's three weeks until opening day maybe in a perfect world he's, he's ready close to that uh, you know I don't think this is going to wipe out much for him, but uh, these recoveries can vary a bit he'll be shut down for a week and then go from there but you know, Dolis is a guy who really changed as a pitcher over in Japan. Mm -hmm. I had an interesting conversation with him about that because when you go to Japan or Korea, the Asian game is focused on contact and on base. So he would say that even when you're throwing you know, a side session, he said, these guys are just hitting foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. I had no idea what to do because he was throwing a two-seam fast with the intent of getting ground balls, but all he was getting was 20 pitch at-bats. 
foul ball over and over. So he developed a splitter. He calls it a fork ball, but a splitter mm-hmm. to start missing bats, and suddenly it clicked. And that's when he started working as their closer uh, over in Jam pitched very well. And, and Dolis is a guy I think fans are going to like a lot. He's got some swagger. I can see him doing the Fernando Rodney arrow out there. You know, he's got the the colorful braids, you know, braided into the hair. Uh, you know, this mm. guy has some real I think he's going to be a fun pitcher to watch. But stepping into his place, you've got a couple of kind of clunky decisions because adding guys to the roster means you have to take them off. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people competing for jobs like Jordan Romano who has options left. So even if he's pushing, and Charlie Montoyo likes Jordan Romano, especially when he's throwing hard like he is now, but those options matter, especially as you're trying to squeeze in the Coles, the Millers onto this roster. So you know, right now you look at Ken Giles, obviously, you know, Wilmer Font, Anthony Bass, Sam Gavilio, that gives you four. Cole would make it about five. So you know, Miller's certainly in that conversation. I, I don't think the Blue Jays need another long man, so... Mm-hmm. Probably Shun Yamaguchi and one other, but the Jays are in a, you know, a spot that's good news for them, but they're no longer DFAing guys you've never heard of. They're starting mm-hmm. to have to DFA guys who are who are pretty decent, and that's what happens when you have a young kind of a, you know, a deep core. So that's going to be a tough decision. That's the most interesting one because it's um it's pretty close, and a lot of these guys, you know, Brian Moran, the lefty, is another one, uh, the side slinging lefty. Yeah. A lot of these guys come in with similar careers, you know. They've been around, maybe they've had a good year or two, interesting metrics, good fastballs, etc., etc. Et a lot of these guys fit the same mold. So it's maybe not even about the spring stats, but also a bit about, you know, what type of pitcher, what style of bullpen you want to have. And, you know, in the major leagues, uh, you know, this is one reason I expect Joe Panic to make the roster. When you... Mm. When you look at a player like that, I'm sure he had a lot of interest on a minor league deal. You don't sign somewhere where they tell you you don't have a shot at making the roster. So uh, a lot of these guys who had interest from multiple teams, you know, not that it's a wink-wink, nudge-nudge thing, but there is uh, often an understanding that, you know, hey, just come in, be healthy, don't totally blow up, (laughs) you've got a spot. And those minor league deals kind of help teams uh, with their flexibility ramp in terms of 40-man rosters. So, yeah, that's going to be a, a busy day. You know, it'll probably happen in Montreal during that series, the the cutdowns and finalizing that roster. But there will be a few moves uh, going in a couple of different directions. Hmm. And I am glad you mentioned him there because he was he was a guy I actually thought was in danger uh, of losing his spot just the way he performed following his stint on the injury list this last season. Season, it just looked like he he didn't really have the same velocity and didn't really know what he was doing with it in September. So to have the bounce back spring he's had, I think, goes a long way to keeping him in that picture and and keeping him as that QEW option for the bullpen. Now I know they changed the rules, so you can, so it's going to be a few week period before you bring him back up. But still, like you said, having that flexibility is going to be key going forward with this club to manage you know the injuries and and whatever else pops up during the season the Jays can afford to be impatient really you know, if mm. if a guy makes this roster and he pitches poorly for a couple of weeks you know next who's there <laughs> um you know these that's the benefit of having guys really signed long term and I, I know that makes it riskier but 
this is an area the Blue Jays have done well in. And I, I don't give credit unless the team deserves it, but really, when you look back at their history of either minor league or lower level, like cheaper signings, you look at, even going back to Joe Smith, Sun Juan O, Tyler Clifford, um, Hudson John, last year. John Axford. A lot of these guys, Axford and other, yeah, guys who have been useful for not a lot of money. Uh, the Blue Jays can identify those guys fairly well, and they also have opportunities for them, which some teams don't have. So they've, they've made it work uh, pretty well, but when you stockpile these guys, you can afford to have a, a bit of a quick trigger. So it's, uh, it really opens up that competition. Hmm. All right, Keegan, I want to I want to get you out of here on one final question. And this is kind of an open one. Um who in the Blue Jays camp has surprised you and impressed you the most that people aren't talking about with the cat that you cannot say Alejandro Kirk because people are talking about him now. <laughs> so, well, that makes me change my answer. I knew it would because I pulled that same thing on Wilner when when he said because I everyone loves Alejandro, a catcher who can move, who can make contact like on almost any pitch, freaking lovely. He's he's going to be up with the Blue Jays at some point, and he will be adored, and he's adored now, which is why he's ineligible for this question. <laughs> Who did Wilner say? I need to know that I'm not overlapping here. He said Ryan Noda. Ryan Noda. It's a good one. Uh, I'm trying to go through my mind here who I'm seeing on all of these games. And, uh, you know, maybe not even in terms of guys really hopping and you know, in terms of talent and hitting a thousand home runs or anything like that. But Caleb Joseph, man, is a really interesting guy to have around camp. <laughs> Number one. I know everybody loved the drumming and Rush video and all of that. I, I know that, that. But um, in terms of what you're looking for from a veteran kind of number two, number three catcher, absolutely everything is there in Caleb Joseph. And if you want your young catcher to be learning from somebody, boom, that's the guy. You know, hearing him talk about catching, hearing him talk about receiving a baseball and, and how you work your hands and your body is fascinating. And, you know, the, the bar for backup catchers or AAA depth catchers, it's pretty low. If you're hitting 197, whatever, as long as you're playing good defense. I, I think he's really been interesting to watch around the younger players. Um, you know, not just the catchers, but, you know, being in around a lot of guys. Like, you know, there is Riley Adams, there's Alejandro McGuire, there's Jansen, but um, every clubhouse, needs, uh, you know, we call it the adults, you know, every year there needs to be an adult and, you know, there's, uh, there's always veterans and there's guys who have been there and, and played well and done a lot of big things. But, uh, you know, having that adult in the room or who knows when to keep it light and knows when to give advice, I think is pretty, uh, pretty important. So, um, you know, of course, very unlikely he's breaking camp, but as a, uh, you know, as a third string catcher in triple a, Catchers get beat up. You know, you, you're, you're probably going to end up on the roster at some points, and regardless of results, uh, I, I think he's someone who uh, might have more value than a stat line will show. Mm. That's That makes a lot of sense. And, and Alejandro Kirk. <sighs> you, couldn't, you couldn't just leave it? You couldn't just, just take the question <laughs> you had to get it in there? <sighs> I did, for my uh, conscience, so I can sleep tonight. Uh, you have not changed a bit. But that's why you're <laughs> such 
a popular man to follow for all the Blue Jays knowledge. And that's why I'm happy to finally get an episode with you on the podcast that, you know, we are actually able to sit down and talk. So, Kian, I'm pretty sure everyone knows where to find you because you're pre-ubiquitous on Blue Jays Twitter. But just in case, let the people know where they can find your work. You can find me uh, at Keegan Matheson. It's uh, Keegan with two E's on Twitter, and then uh, Blue Jay Dom is where you find everything there. And I, uh, you know, I, I just I thank AJ for for covering up with a fake uh, audio issue the first time. I just you know I said some <laughs> career-ending things, and she, she agreed to delete the episode. I, yeah, I, I made some predictions that would have made me look very stupid, and I slid fifty dollars table, and there went the episode. So I appreciate that as well. Hey. I I am happy to do that, and and the world the world will never know how much you liked Ryan Fearabend. Um But uh, again, thank you to Kian for coming. You can find me on Twitter at a underscore j underscore Andrews. The underscores are there because Twitter is dumb. You can subscribe to this podcast on <laughs> Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you podcasts. Even even my dad, eventually, I will get to find that podcast. That is my life goal now. But you can subscribe to the podcast and make sure you don't miss an episode. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Locked on Shays. And we will keep doing this and we will keep bringing people on that y'all hopefully want to hear from. And again, Keegan, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy florida schedule to to sound no anytime at all sister this was uh this was my pleasure anytime at all thank you appreciate it so for everyone at the lockdown podcast network and everyone at jays from the couch.com i'm aj andrews thank you all so much for listening to the episode and y'all take care